welcome to Knock On Podcast, where we bring you archery information and education that you can trust. Knock On was created as a way to bring all archers together, regardless of the brand you choose or the style of archery you shoot. Knock On Podcasting will deliver professional insights to the latest gear, proper shooting technique, along with high-level equipment setup and tuning. Hey, everybody. That was probably loud. I seen a spike, but I got excited. Uh, welcome back to another Knock On podcast. This is actually going to be a podcast that um, is going to probably be a little bit time sensitive um, because this podcast is actually going to be um, dedicated to raising some funds uh, for a very important cause. I'll probably leave this podcast on um just because I want to bring awareness to the cause and um, and then also the faithful listeners that are listening to this in actual time, I'm sure you'll get involved with this. Um, but if you're listening to this after, we'll talk about some other things too, but I think it's valuable for you to hear some of this. And, um, and also just uh, have a little bit of awareness to it because it's probably not going to be the last time um, I try to do something. So, with that said, my guest today is, well, you're Jack Carr right now. Yeah, we're Jack Carr today. <laughs> okay. Um, yep, Jack Carr is his, um, pretty much, I, I guess it would be your stage name, wouldn't it? <laughs> I guess it, that might be a different industry, but this is a pen name. Uh, <laughs> and, uh Sometimes authors have pen names, and it's uh, it's it's actually quite common. But uh, this one I picked because uh, Lee Child, uh, who writes the Jack Reacher series, gave me some advice before I even submitted my manuscript to Simon and Schuster. And he said, "Hey, I love your title, but you need a pen name." And he told me why he chose his back in the late '90s, uh, and it was for shelf placement purposes. And his real name's Jim Grant, but he wanted that C last name because. He looked out there and saw Tom Clancy, uh, Michael Crichton, uh, Clive Cussler, Mary Higgins Clark, all these C best-selling authors, and thought that was a good place to be. And since he's uh, done quite well in the space, I figured I would be wise to listen. So Jack Carr was born. Yep, I like it. I like it. I'm actually, uh, I can't really disclose it right now, but I'm in the middle of a really cool project that's coming up aside from this one. And it's the same thing. We... I'm really excited about this project, but even though I'm excited, I'm like, I'm also, um, I have to pull back the reins on some of my, um, some of my affiliates with this because they're wanting to get this out there. And yet I'm saying we all have people that are very good at, at having brands that have super cool concepts, but let's, let's really make sure that when this, when this goes live, that we're a hundred percent that we don't you know, we don't make any hiccups or have any mistakes that people that have some of these bigger brands like Rogue or like a Kill Cliff or something like that. You know, it's like, let's utilize the, the we have a lot of expertise out there and, and friends that have um, knowledge that's probably way above our pay grade um, and experience level. So let's just share this with them, get some valuable feedback and then and then we'll be, you know, all all guns on deck and it sounds like you did the same thing with this. It's a book called The Terminalist, by the way. We're getting a little bit off subject, but we might as well talk about it because um, I actually, um, I met you, I think I met you before I met Andy. Um, yeah. That is right. Yeah. Not, yeah. Yeah. That is right. Uh, yeah. We met in Hawaii um, because you're actually affiliated with the Pineapple Brothers, which is an amazing operation. Um, and through Andy and really through your book, um, I started to, you know, find out more and more about you. And then, um, so which pretty much brings us to the purpose of this podcast is bringing awareness to what your family is um, learning about, um, learning to deal with, and more importantly, or at least from what I'm trying to bring to the table is try to help you financially, um, you know, just sustain your, your yearly family expense. And, um, so I guess just to give a little lead in here, um, we'll talk about the cause, but 
what this is going to be, this is going to be a package that I'm actually going to put out there for auction. Um, I'll do it once I launch this podcast. I'll have all my ducks in a row. But more or less, what you're going to get with this package, if you're the highest bidder, uh, this is going to be a one-person operation. You're going to get your choice of either me building you a Hoyt of your choice, uh, doing a fully custom build top to bottom. Along with that, we're actually going to give you a free invite to a private class that I'm going to be doing in San Diego um, at Bob Fromm's shop on, I think it's July 28th. We'll, do a, we'll be doing a parking lot meet and greet and grill out the night before that. Um, Andy Stumpf will be there. Uh, my buddy Trevor Thompson will be there. Along with this package, you're also going to get a tandem jump at Skydive San Diego, which is right there with Andy. And you also have your choice, frontwards or backwards, on the tandem, which <laughs> it's not every day you get that option. Um, with the, with the bow build, the other thing I'll say too is, um, I've actually, uh, thought about going ahead and offering, if you want my bow that I actually shot in Lanai this past, um, this past month. And what I'm going to do is, um, I'm actually, since a big part of that hunt was, uh, my buddy Rogan, um, I'm going to go ahead and get, I'm going to get Joe to sign this bow when I see him next week. Um, So I'll sign it, which is worth nothing. Joe will sign it, which is worth everything. So it'll average out to pretty cool um, if you wanted that one. Otherwise, you get to pick whatever Hoyt you want, and I'll get it ordered. Um, When I get it in, I'll do a build. Hopefully, I can get it in time for this. And then you'll get to jump in on this private 10-person class on the Sunday You can hang out all you want on the Saturday at the shop event. And then you can go face-to-face or face-to-butt with with Andy on a a tandem skydive. So with that said, this is what you're going to be bidding on. Um, and And even though this sounds awesome, the cause is more awesome. So I'm going to hand the mic over to you, uh, Mr. Carr, uh, and let you tell people exactly what this is going to. And also, this is this does have the ability to be a, an actual write-off too. So your check isn't going to be coming to me. Your check is going directly to the cause, and um, it's an amazing organization amazing cause and a really touching story so i'll let you tell us about it man yeah well first of all thank you so much i mean it's always so humbling when people learn about our our son's story and our family story and and just jump in to do something like this it's just uh you know i never quite know what to say but um a little bit of background yeah our, our uh our son was born with something that couldn't quite be diagnosed and uh, it was just nobody could figure out what was going on, but it was quite obvious that uh, he was not like other kids, and uh, there was there was something that uh, that was a that was a miss. And uh, Navy couldn't figure it out, and we spent years going uh, to different specialists around the country to try to figure this thing out. Went to Cedar Sinai and in LA, they couldn't figure it out. And then someone told Ross Perot our story, and uh, he said, "Get him on the phone." So in December of 2013. Uh, I got a call from uh, Ross Perot, who sounded exactly like Dana Carvey impersonating Ross Perot on <laughs> Saturday Night Live in the 90s. And uh, he just get, jumps on the phone and, uh, and he tells me, hey, we're going to fix your son, he says, and uh, could not have been nicer and says, hey, we're sending the jet tomorrow to pick you guys up and fly you to Texas and figure this out. And then he hangs up and I'm like, wow, what, what just happened? And about an hour later, his lead physician called and said, hey, we're not sending the jet tomorrow, but send all the information that you've collected over the years on your son, get it out here to us, 
we'll assemble a team of genetic specialists and then we'll fly you guys out here and we'll see what we can do. So sure enough, a month later, they send the G550 out with a, a nurse on board and they fly us out to Texas to Southwestern Medical Center and do a week of testing on our son and, and on us. And they uh, eventually found a researcher in the Netherlands that had just discovered this specific genetic mutation. And our son was the 13th person in the world that they ever diagnosed with this. And it manifests itself as a global developmental disability, meaning he needs help with everything really for life. And he's 10 years old now, but um, but needs full-time 24-7 care for, for a lifetime, which is expected to be a, uh, a normal lifespan. So um, we have two other kids on either side. So he's bracketed in between uh, two amazing kiddos that both have both have bows. And uh, the, the older one who, uh, who has gotten her first deer with, uh, with her bow last year. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, it, it's just a, uh, you know, and every day is, uh, anyway, it's a, it, it, you play the cards you're dealt, right? And, uh, hopefully he's made us all, uh, stronger, better, made us a more compassionate family, more understanding family. Um, and he's made everybody that comes in contact with him better people. They just fall, fall in love with him. But, uh, anyway, he's a lot of work. And then a couple of years ago, some friends found out about all this and decided to uh, to uh, put together a, a foundation that would help our son and then start helping other kids. Um, so we're in the middle of putting all that together right now, and uh, that's what this is uh, is for. And I really don't uh, you know I really don't have the words to to thank you enough and and Andy enough and everybody that's uh, you know found out about our story and, and jumped in to help. So it's uh, it's it's quite humbling. Well, I can't. I can't be more excited about it. It's um, it's a it's a fascinating story and obviously super touching. Um, I just it's one of those deals where um, you know I have I have several friends that have um, kids with special needs and they're just they're each one is such a different type of a you know a challenge and a learning experience and literally the entire family has to make so many um, life choices and sometimes life changes in order to adapt to, like you said, the cards that you're being dealt. And um, man, I can't, I couldn't be happier to help you. And another thing too is um, uh, one of my buddies, uh, Jim with HMC Custom Knives, um, he's actually going to build a custom knife for this package as well. So you've got, you'll have an amazing hunting knife uh, to go with this this deal. Uh, so I don't want to leave that out um, as well. So, but uh, we'll have to, following this podcast, and by the way, I'll make this announcement um, via Instagram is probably, I'll probably have it on Instagram. Um, it's hard to obviously monitor the highest bidders uh, but I'll probably do most of the bidding, I think, on Instagram. I may, I guess I may need to do some through Facebook. Um, but what we'll do through that is obviously the highest bidder um, until the cutoff date is going to be the winner. Um, then we'll also give people the ability uh, to just make a blanket donation. We'll also have that information out there. Um, when I decide to or I shouldn't say when I decide, when I have all my ducks in a row to actually um, facilitating this launch and how people can actually um, support this, then uh, I'll post all that. And if you're wanting to just make a donation, obviously there's going to be the ability to, to probably just make a donation to a location too. But, you know, we're literally going to just open it up to the highest bidder in the comments. I do expect this to go pretty high, which I'm super appreciative of. Um, again, everything that you pick for the bow, or if you just tell me, Dud, what would you build? Um, which is kind of what I like normally when people say that, because I build what I know is going to drive tax. Um, I'm going to buy all that for you, and literally that's, that's going to be literally bought and then handed over given to you in a case um and then obviously we'll um we'll work out the details of that class too so this is going to be super cool um and i couldn't be more excited about it uh is there anything else you want to mention about the about this cause specifically 
Well, I will definitely throw in a, uh, a signed book, of course, um, to whoever uh, to whoever gets this. But uh, yeah, the long term plan is about really helping the the next generation. And uh, you know, right now my focus is on our, our son and our family, of course, as we transition out of the military and figure all figure all that out. Because really, the reason we got out was to take care of our son. Because special operations and particularly the SEAL teams is not the not the best place to be when you're uh, you're dealing with a family with with these kinds of, of issues. And uh, when you're taking guys down range, really you can't even, um, I mean, my wife did all the work because when you're focused on taking guys down range, you, you know, you owe it to, to those guys, to, to their families, to, to the country and the mission in general, to be solely focused on the task at hand. So my wife had a lot to, lot to deal, deal with when I was doing that. But as soon as I got back to my last deployment, it became very obvious that, hey, it's time to, time to move on and and take care of my family. But um, one of the reasons we moved here to Park City, Utah is because there's this thing here called the National Ability Center. And they help people with all sorts of cognitive and physical disabilities, as well as veterans dealing with uh, PTSD and uh, amputees and, and that sort of thing, and their families. And what the Marriott family has been very involved in getting this place up and running. And it's a beautiful facility. They have horseback riding uh, with hor- that, that uh, horse therapy type stuff. And they get people skiing and get them water skiing and rock climbing and biking and do all this amazing stuff here uh, in Park City, Utah. So that was one of the main reasons we came here so that our son would have access to that. But um, eventually, as we build out this program, and my wife and I pass on, and then eventually our son passes on, uh, everything that, that has been built up over this this lifetime of taking care of him will go to the National Ability Center. And um, I, have a, I have a grand plan uh, set up for, for all that. And we're getting the pieces in place with lawyers and uh, the financial people and all that stuff to, to make sure that our son and everyone that helps has a, a legacy that really outlives us all. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of uh, ink to be put to the to the legal ramifications of getting archers involved with with uh, medical help. <laughs> right. No, there's an archery range out there. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Several good yeah, ones. Several good ones. Right. But attached to the National Ability Center, right there, front and center, uh, they have an archery program. Uh, and you have people, so people in wheelchairs, and uh, it's it's just amazing. It's just such a cool place, and. Uh, um, so if you, if you come up to visit at some point, we will, uh, get you out there and, and, and show you around. It's a, it's a really special place. I'm out there quite often. Yeah. I love it there. I, I love it in park city. Um, Sharon and I, well, Sharon always makes me take her to the outlet mall. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, next time you guys come up, we're taking you, we'll take you to dinner and we'll, uh, yeah, we'll show you around now that we're, now that we're semi-local now that we've been here for six months. Yeah. It's, it's super cool out there. Well, um, if you guys listening want to kind of hear a little bit more in depth, um, information about kind of the whole Jack Carr background and story in the book, um, what you need to do is you need to go to Andy's podcast, uh, which is cleared hot. And I'm trying to think which uh, episode were you on? Let me see. I'll have to look, I'm looking on my. You are episode 32. There Ep- we go. 32. Episode, episode 32 of Cleared Hot is um, it's really a very detailed podcast with um, <laughs> with I'm looking at Andy's description of this podcast and you. <laughs> what does he say? Well, he tried to. I think he tried to get exceptional with his wording because he knew he had an author. He's a <laughs> Jack Carr is the epitome of a Renaissance man. Did he write this from you? I I don't think so. He came he up is, with his own. Oh yeah, he is a, re- of a Renaissance man. Is I think what he meant there. <laughs> yeah, he is a retired Navy SEAL with 20 years of experience on both the enlisted and officer side of the house. He consults with tactical brands speaks publicly and as of march 6th will be a published author his book the terminalist hits shelves tomorrow although it is a work of fiction it is written by a man who lived that life for two decades emotions and experiences that are anything but fiction can be found throughout the novel Dang, what a... Yeah, he did a great job with that. Describing it. Jeez, look at him sharpening that pencil for you. I know, he must have had help. Yeah, he literally, like, he would just, uh, 
I don't know. He wouldn't do anything like that for me. Mine just says, <laughs> mine just says John is a friend from hunting camp, rarely washes his underwear. <laughs> hey, that's, that's something. Yeah, Andy's so great. We've known each other for 20 plus years now. So we were, he was the youngest guy in our buds class. And uh, so, yeah, we, we have quite the history. Do you have any, do you have any Andy stories that I, that I might not know about? Well, he was, he's, it was the same in buds. Uh, so, you know, you know him today. Oh yeah. And just, at 18 years old, uh, kind of the same, the same <laughs> way. Uh, and yeah, now he was, he was a blast to having buds and the instructors loved him cause he was the youngest guy and just super fired up. So they could always, uh, you know, mess with him and he'd always have a, uh, you know, ha- have a good comeback and a smile on his face and you, know, you couldn't stop him. He was just, uh, just a great guy. Yeah. I, we, we actually have said a few times if we would have grown up together, we'd have been in big trouble. <laughs> probably. Probably. And then when we got to our first SEAL team, that's how, you know, you were hunting with John Barklow a couple of weeks back and yep. you were our first SEAL team. So we've uh, all three of us, uh, we've all known each other for quite some time. And, you know, John Barklow is just such a, such a great guy and such a, a wealth of knowledge and information on, uh, on all sorts of fronts involving things in the back country. But, um, yeah, it's a, it's a good solid crew. I know. I feel so humbled because I'm with John and he's like breaking out his notepad and he's freaking writing down stuff. And I'm looking at him, what are you doing? He's just like taking notes, dude. <laughs> like super, <laughs> super serious. Yeah, why, no, why? He always wants to get better. You know, it's just everybody always wants to take it to the next level. No matter how good you are at something, uh, you can always be better. Always, always be learning. It's a, you know, in the SEAL teams, it's a learning organization. That's why we've been successful on the battlefield for the for the past 16 plus years at war because you have to be if you're going to evolve because the enemy is sure learning from you and uh, you've got to continually adapt and learn from them and uh, make decisions faster than uh, than they can yeah well that's that's valuable for anywhere and i think that's one of the things that andy likes so much about hunting is that you know it's not necessarily the enemy but literally the target is it almost changes at a level that's different than what he's used to because, you know, every single thing he's gone after is almost like a completely different mission. And the literally the strengths and weaknesses of each of the species varies. So, you know, he's, you know, he's almost continually having to, you know, almost relearn relearn that target or you know find out more about it and then obviously you know well someone today someone today i've got a friend here and he actually um asked me he said why do you feel like or why do you think you're so successful as a a deer hunter and um because we were actually out at my farm and my game warden came out to to help us because i'm so far behind we've been so busy i've just been behind on crp maintenance and a lot of government uh farm contracts that i have to do you know annually annually on my farm so they were helping me with some of those maintenance things and my game warden was telling him some some stories and stuff like that about probably some of the deer that i don't even share with other people and um he just said why do you think you're so successful with deer and i told him i said a big part of my success is who i've who i've been in camps with um through the years that are very successful hunters that don't necessarily that aren't mainline guys but the other thing is i'm not just a deer hunter you know i only deer hunt you know probably a month a little more than a month total a year the fact is for the other 11 months i'm hunting things that have stronger senses than deer in certain aspects so you know learning learning spot and stock on axis you know that's Spot and stock on axis is is every bit as tough as spot and stock on a whitetail, and then you know, and then you look at bears, you look at turkeys that can see good. You got bears or hogs that have noses that are you know well beyond our recognition, and you know, then you bring in things like like grizzlies that bring a whole new danger uh, to that element, or you know, wolves, elk, antelope. I mean, the list goes on and on. Um, just Every time you, every time you're in a situation where you have the ability to learn something new, you just you continue to grow and continue uh, to get better. So, I think, I think what you guys did, obviously, you have to be able to adapt because they're learning too. Obviously, they go back and say, "Hey, these guys did this when they came." You've got to make a change, but you know the sucky part about it is. 
uh, a lot of times as a hunter, the only type of like surveillance or recon you have, or, you know, kind of, I guess your ability to, to review tactical review is what's in your memory. And a lot of times what, what you think happened and what did happen are two different things. And I, I've learned a lot because of film, because I film myself so much. I, I leave there saying, well, this is what happened. You know, he was at this angle and I'm sure my arrow hit here. And then all of a sudden you go back and you're like, okay, actually it wasn't at that angle. He actually wasn't even standing where I thought I ranged. You know, you, you, you start to learn these things or you say, I wasn't moving and he picked me up. And then you look and you're like, no, you, your leg was definitely moving. And he saw, that's what they saw. Um, so having the ability to review and then obviously make adjustments, I think that's what makes anybody better. Right. Go to the tape. You get to go to the tape. Um, typically, eyewitness accounts of things are not reliable. <laughs> you get five people that saw the same event and they, they describe it. It's like five different events. So having the tape there to review, uh, just like anybody does in professional sports or uh, Olympic athletes, whatever, they go to the tape and uh, they study their opponent or they look at how they're performing and they use that tape to become better at, uh, at their position or uh, in their sport or whatever, whatever it is. So, um, hunting the same way, you know, take it, I mean, exploit all ta- technical and tactical advantages, which is something we talked about on Andy's podcast. And you're using that. So uh, what we have available today, that tape, that video to make yourself a better hunter. And interestingly enough, there are a lot of parallels between hunting and what we do in the military, which is essentially manhunting. Um, I mean, you're learning, Patterns of life, POL, establishing that, figuring out where someone's going, what times they're going there, who they're talking to, who their associates are, and you're building that target package. And same thing you're doing with with animals out here. You're learning that animal. You're studying them. You're studying their habits, uh, what they do at different times of year. Um, You're learning their pattern of life so that uh, you can insert yourself into that environment and uh, take them out. Well, yeah, and if you if you stick to those guidelines, you're going to be successful. Um, you know, and I tell that I tell that a lot to people that um, that have been around, people that come here and have worked with me, or people that have you know talked about going on a hunt. I said, I don't I don't want to be I don't want to be cocky about it, but you will learn a lot just by watching things that someone that's a veteran at this does without thinking about like if you're very observant and you just watch which one of my mentors in archery was randy ulmer and he wasn't good about sharing information (laughs) but if you if you really paid attention and watched things and then asked then he would explain things that you picked up and a lot of times he would say oh you saw that huh and then he would he would expand on it and then that's where you learn rather than you know there's a difference between watching and observing you know if you're really observing you're you're paying attention and i think a big reason why i find success in the woods is because most of the time i'm i'm literally studying animal behavior because i'm there so much and if you're really paying attention and observing their demeanor and their actions and what makes them pick their head up and what makes them actually turn their head and then look at something or, you know, what makes them immediately flag. Um, all that stuff is like just behavioral, you know, patterns. And if you pay attention and if you observe it right and not just kind of let it happen, but not really understand why, then you can really learn from those things. Oh, no, absolutely. That's why I level an eye because you're going to have so many opportunities to do that um, rather than going out you know, someplace here and you have your one stock in a season because you're juggling business and family and everything else and you're getting out for three days or whatever it is for, for that season. This is your time. Uh, and then maybe you don't hunt again until that next year for some people. Um, but on Lanai, you have so many opportunities to, to stock, to study those animals, to mess up, get another opportunity, take those lessons learned from your first stock, apply them to your second. Uh, maybe blow that one too. Take those lessons and just you can get so much better over such a short amount of time, which is another reason I, I like going to Africa because same thing over there. There's there's so many opportunities and there's so, so much you can learn from those trackers and those professional hunters over there that it's almost like going for a, uh, a master's degree in uh, in hunting uh, or you look at it as a you know, two-week um, in-depth 
uh, instructional course, essentially, in animal, animal behavior, tracking, hunting uh, in general. So, um, you know, all those things are, you know, become our, uh, our experience and hope you turn that experience into wisdom, which makes you uh, better in the backcountry. Yeah, there's no question. It's actually a good example of um, on a lot of hunts, people that start to go out and hunt with a little bit of a chip on their shoulder where they don't really they don't really want to pay attention to what the guide is telling them. Um, there's certainly times where you have a guide that doesn't have experience and, you know, they're just doing stupid mistakes. You know, they're walking with their wind at their, at their back and they're going out and they, you know, you can tell they, they don't really know, but I can tell you right now, the guys that you have, um, out with pineapple brothers, those guys are straight up axis, (laughs) <laughs> freaking killers alec yeah. jason yeah, brandon um yep. you know which are the ones i've had experience with i know um ramon i yep. mean these guys they've literally been around those animals their entire life you'll be looking at them out in the middle of a field and you'll be like well i don't even know like how'd you even do that and they'll just be like oh well you know in about an hour the wind's going to switch and start coming down here and you know a lot of times they're just you know they're going to be there but then they're going to turn they're going to start moving this way and you know with the wind like that there's a good little ravine up here that's got like a two inch dip in it and you can just (laughs) you know you can just kind of get in that little thing and they'll just barely be able to see your head and if you stay low you can go around then you know it's just like what (laughs) the next thing you know you're you're literally right there for a shot and last year, uh, Joe and I hunted with Ramon pretty much nonstop. And then, you know, once I was with him a few days and then I hunted with Shane, it's like, okay, now I'm on to this. You know, right. it's, it's essentially it's spot and stock, but this animal, these are like their behavioral attributes and here's what you can get away with. Here's what you definitely can't get away with. And here's what this terrain favors for a bow hunter. And then once you got those elements, you can go. Oh, it's incredible. Those guys, yeah, there's nine guides out there and they all know, well, they know that animal and that land they, uh, so well. And I learned so much every time I'm out there, they know so much that, that, uh, you know, they don't even know what they, what they know because it's so natural for them and they have spent so much time around those animals and around that, on that land and that terrain that, uh, you know, I, I try to extract as much information as I can every time I go out with them. But, uh, and then they're all such great guys too. They're all just such good people to, to hang out with and, you know, people you'd want to have a beer with. And, uh, they're also humble about how good they are at, uh, in this profession. Uh, just amazing guys. Oh yeah. Well, when did you get into bow hunting? I know our times run a little bit tight. My, uh, just, this is a, this is a forewarning at any moment, my doorbell can ring and I could have a heating and air conditioning guy that's long overdue show up. My house is at 93 degrees right now. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yeah. My, our air conditioner unit inside literally, I came in yesterday and there was water dripping down onto bow boxes and i'm like what the heck is that and i looked and the air conditioning line running above this room once i got up in there it was literally a frozen icicle for 25 feet then going into the into the ac you know into the duct work where i went in and literally came across in my utility room a three by three frozen block you know it looked like the dang tesseract in my freaking utility room (laughs) and so i had to turn my air conditioner unit off and now through the unthawing process you know i've i've got every towel in the house down here in the in the our basement's flooding so yeah it's i don't know what happened but uh typical hottest day of the year air conditioner's out so uh, if, if, if we have to cut jack car short <laughs> it's because uh That's why. yeah we, do, we don't yeah. want sharon in a hot flash like yeah. let's prevent that <laughs> let's prevent a full yeah. overheat <laughs> yeah like we say in the military actually i learned this from jocko prioritize and execute so uh, <laughs> that's that's what you're doing and it uh it makes sense and that's when they go out hottest day of the year when those things would go off, because typically overseas in Iraq and Afghanistan, you're mostly on vampire hours, so you're working at night and you sleep during the day. Um, so when you're sleeping during the heat of the day and that, oh, man, the generator goes down, air conditioning goes out, whatever it is, 
brutal just cooking <laughs> out there in the sun and, you know 127 degree heat it's brutal so yeah prioritize and execute take care of that take care of that ac um but yeah you know i always felt just drawn to the bow from an early age um and it was all target stuff and summer camp stuff from you know age five up to whenever and i wish i had kept i was talking to my wife about this the other night i said i wish i had kept all my bows uh over the years because you know ones from the compound bows from the mid 80s you know built for you know youth or whatever and then uh first adult one from the early 90s or whatever uh and just to have those lined up today i would love to have those still um and i always wanted to take a bow hunting but i never uh i didn't grow up hunting i got into hunting uh in the military uh before september 11th they took us uh hunting as a sniper sustainment uh deal so uh, that's when i got and i always wanted to but i just never you know didn't have it in my family didn't know how to crack the code and um so yeah, I got to go up in uh, Washington State. Got my first uh, buck up there uh, through the military as uh, the sniper sustainment program. And then right after that, September 11th kicked off. So a whole new type of hunting ensued. And when I got back from my last deployment, I said, "Hey, now it's time to you know make this family a hunting family." And we really made up for for lost time. And uh, I was very fortunate to be able to go on a, a lot of different hunts, uh, a lot of different countries and, and states. And, um, and it just, you know, as a lifelong learner, uh, I just became, uh, it just became kind of what we do as a family. We've really only eaten wild game uh, exclusively for about the past six years, I'd say. Um, and we're very fortunate to, to be able to do that, of course. But, uh, and I'm not comfortable calling myself a bow hunter yet because I have hunted with my bow and I've been, uh, you know, I've brought, uh, animals home, um, with my bow, but, uh, I don't think I'm quite good enough to, uh, to call myself a bow hunter yet, uh, which is why I just bought the, uh, the, the knock to it. So it's, uh, <laughs> lucky it's, you. Yeah. yeah it's, uh, it's going to be on its way here soon. So I'm looking forward to, uh, applying, uh, that and, and anyway, getting, getting on the range with you and really taking my skills to the, to the next level. Um, yeah, we'll, Bob, ch- we'll change up, that. You'll be able have, to call yourself a bow hunter real quick. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, yeah. Performance archery, Bob from set up my bow. He set up my wife's bow, set up my daughter's bow. Um, and, uh, you know, it's been a couple of years and this technology changes all the time, of course. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I just love it. Just always felt drawn to the bow. Most of my hunting has been done with a rifle, but, uh, just always really felt drawn to the bow for some reason, uh, probably cause it's just so primal. There's something about it that, uh, really connects with our, our DNA and our, our history, um, as a, you know, as a, oh, yeah. as a really. So, uh, yeah, that's going to be my thing going forward is the, uh, is the bow and get some good hunts lined up here over the next, uh, couple of years. But, uh, um, yeah, just, and I'm very fortunate now to live in, in park city and have a place where I can, uh, shoot almost every day and, and, uh, kind of hone the craft, but I want to make sure that I'm not doing the, I'm not, uh, just repeating the same mistakes over and over again. Uh, so it's time to, it's time to really devote myself to the bow, uh, and almost exclusively cause I'm, pre- I'm comfortable with the rifle of course, but it's, uh, it's time to go in and go all in on the bow. Yeah. You're going to like it. You're going to like, um, you'll find out pretty quick how how fast you can accelerate your skill level just based off you know having an easy process of you know making proper execution but then also just having a very i don't a lot of people talk about my process i think the process is obviously important and it's simplified but i think a lot of the reason why people really um accelerate themselves quick after i work with them is because it's not just learning the simple steps of the process. It's also being able to be with you and, tr- and talk with you about not only troubleshooting, but be able to explain to you as soon as you make a mistake, why that was a mistake and how, how small the variation is between this is what you did, which is okay, but this is what you need to do to be perfect. And then I can say, here's what you did. And then here's what you need to do. Do you feel the difference? And then that's the disconnect. You know, people see in the steps, you know, everyone's seen the steps, but then that's what's so valuable about being able to be with you is being able to immediately give feedback and identify what's going on. And because I've made so many mistakes throughout my life as an archer, I just, I see it happening before it happens. And then if I, and then once it happens, you know, I can almost just say, you know, 
once a shot, I, I can say, well, that arrow is going to be blah, blah, blah. And then they'll say, well, how do you know that? And then they'll say, well, look. And then, oh, yeah, holy, why is it there? Okay, well, here's why. And, you know, a, a really good archer, which there's there's definitely some. There's not a lot. The really good ones know where the misses are going, bef- you know, arguably yeah. before they've they've left a 10-foot radius of where they're standing. You know they'll they'll know where that's going, and I'm sure the same's good for super high end, uh, you know, rifle shooters are probably oh, yeah. the yeah, you, you know tacticians. Your, yeah, I'm sure are shot. the same. Yep, same pistol, rifle, whatever it is. You know, you can call your shot. Uh, if you know, as soon as <laughs> as soon as you've depressed that trigger, and uh, you know, as you what you did wrong, and can self correct. Um, but if you don't know, you know, you don't know the process, and you're not at that level. Uh, but once you at the level where you can call your shots, which I assume is the same thing with with archery, um, hey, you know what you did wrong. Then what do you do? Well, you correct it and don't do that again. Um, so, it, so there are a lot of similarities there. That's for sure. You know, it's funny when you were talking about the uh, having all your old bows. Um, I actually had all mine. My house burned when I was ten, so there was my very first bow um, that was uh, that was burned up and we lost every single thing we had in our house fire. Um, but then, uh, everything after that, I, I had all of them. I had all of them. And what happened was, um, fast forward to where I was 22 years old. Um, actually, I don't think I, I think, yeah, I might've been 21. Um, I was actually, I had, I was, I was pro, um, I had done good at a few tournaments and I had, you know, I had some money saved up, um, and wanted to buy my first house because I was, you know, I was in an apartment for a long time, just pretty much throwing money away in rental. And it just got to the point where I'm like, I need to, I need to buy a house. I need this money going somewhere every month. And I was, I was quite a bit short of being able to, to have the down payment for, to be able to buy my first home. Um, and I remember them, the bank telling me like, you know, you need, uh, 6,500 bucks. And I was kind of trying to figure out a way to do it and kind of thought, you know, if I can do good at a tournament coming up or something like that, I think I can, I can swing this and make it happen, but I didn't want the house to sell. And, and, um, actually I was at work, which was at Matthews at the time. And, um, and I've never told this story just because I would, I know he wouldn't have, you know, he wouldn't have really wanted it broadcast at that time, but, um, I was actually in the, the test lanes, um, with, with Matt, with Matt McPherson, who's, um, you know, the, the founder of Matthews and, um, Matt and I were in his, his private test lanes and, um, I was setting up some bows that he had just had machine and stuff. And, um, I was shooting them and, and tuning them. And as we're in there, a lot of times, um, a lot of times Matt worked at night, like he, you know, just to avoid, you know, hearing the simple things at work, like, you know, so-and-so never filled the toilet paper today. You know, it's like when he wanted to go and get in design mode, like he needed zero distraction. So a lot of times I'd just get a text, you know, late at night and just say, you know, are you able to come, uh, tune some bows? And, you know, I'd be like, yeah. So a lot of times it would be in the we hours of the night and we were just sitting there and he's just kind of asking me um you know matt always cared about his employees he said you know how's everything going you know are you doing okay here you know how's you know he's just asking me life things and uh right. and i said yeah i said i'm really trying to get this house i said you know i'm pretty close to being able to get it and i said it's you know it's a couple miles from here it's you know it's like a three-bedroom home and um you know, I, he said, well, why, why aren't you doing it? And I said, well, you know, I think I'm about six grand short of, you know, I have to have 20% down. And, um, so he said, uh, he said, he goes, well, do you got anything you want, you could sell? And I said, what do you mean? And he goes, well, I'll help, I'll help you with some of the money. He said, but he goes, I'm not going to give it to you, but he said, do you have anything that's valuable to you that you could sell me? And I said, the only thing I have is all my bows. And he said, what do you, what do you have? And so I just said, well, I've got, you know, every bow I had when, you know, the whole time that I shot for high country, you know, I have all the high countries. I've got a few of the ones that they never released. 
Um, you know, I've got my Bear Jennings. I got some old PSEs. Um, you know, I kind of started talking about, you know, the bows that I had and he just said, well, how many is there total? And I kind of started counting. I said, well, I got, I think I got about 12 of them. And he said, he said, all right, I'll buy them. And cause wow. Matt, Matt has, he, Matt, Matt has a bow collection that is very, oh, sure. very vast. I yeah. mean, it's literally, there's like a, there's a whole building that's just <laughs> racks and racks and racks and racks and racks of like every bow um, that's ever been made that, and it, he does it because of design, you know, he's trying not to overstep, you know, things that were done in the past or whatever. So, um, right. uh, he actually said, why well, I, I don't have, I don't think I have any of those, um, some of those models. So he said, well, go see if I have any. So I went through and I'm going through all these racks and I just said, no, you don't have this one. You don't have this one. And so anyway, yeah, um, I sold all of my first bows wow. to Matt McPherson to buy my first, to, to finish my, to finish my down payment, to buy my first home. No, um, actually, well, I, I think it's yeah, a cool story. Yeah. Yeah. It was, um, it was, uh, it was pretty interesting because someone, uh, my one buddy who, uh, was my really good friend at Matthews. Uh, which was one of the very few people as well that um, had access to 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 that particular uh, test lab. Um, I think he was doing something for math the other day, and he he sent me a picture. There's a ride. I had a I had a pink high country that <laughs> that never made it to the market, and he took a picture of it and he goes, do you remember this old girl? And I said, I go, I go, Oh my gosh. Yep. And I mean, and it looked like a dang boat anchor. <laughs> like <laughs> yep. when you look at the old bows, it's like, you could literally cast this thing off to do some like jig in it on a, you know, <laughs> they are so big and bulky, but they looked so cool at the time. Oh, well, yeah, they did. And that, that's, I wish I still still had them. I met a, a, well, uh, hung out with a couple of guys that have kept their bows over the years and now turned them into essentially artwork on the wall. And they just look so cool. And being able to see how technology has evolved over the last 20, 30 years, um, it's, it's quite remarkable to, to see that. And so now you can ask Matt if you can buy them back, but you know, price has probably gone up. Now, I now don't want these things. <laughs> <laughs> I got so many I've got so many bows. I actually have um like I've got uh I've got a bow. I've got like Matthews number 33. I've got a number 33 Matthews standard um which is pretty cool. Um one of the first long riser Matthews is a signature and one of the one of the first ones that came out of there um Matt actually signed for me in a gold pen. I've got those two and they're, they're pretty cool. Other than that, I've got, I've got, I've kept bows that have meaning to me, um, yeah. from a tournament point of view, which, um, some of them are going to go like in the new headquarters. Um, and then, and then I'll, I think it's someday what I may do is actually, you know, do like a shadow box of some of right. these bows with like the jerseys that I wore or possibly, you know, the metal that went with them. Um, oh, totally. Maybe something that I could hand down to grandkids or something like that back in the day. Well, exactly. Not that anyone's yeah, going to. Family normally doesn't really care what your profession was. <laughs> <laughs> they're so acclimated to it. Like they're right. so acclimated to it. Um, you know, Harry's friends will, if they'll say like, dude, you went out to dinner with Rogan? And he's just like, well, yeah, I mean. You know, he's been, he's been going out with cool people ever since he's, you know, ever it's what he's always known. So for him, you know, it's just always normal people that just want to be normal and want to, want to hang out. So he's always, and I think everyone, everyone gravitates to him too, because one his cool factor is really high, but two, he's, uh, he's like freaking cool as a cucumber, no matter who he's around. Um, which I think is obviously um important to to people like that that obviously respect their privacy and and sometimes oh, yeah. have to deal with the with the hustle and the bustle no, but it's that's all part of the, it's all I, part of the game yeah no exactly that's another reason why the is so great because it's uh you know it's different out there than some of the other islands if you like at maui is pretty busy if you go to some of those hotels over there but uh you know lanai it's there's some people come out there because it's so private 
and you know you see someone who is quote unquote famous um and well no one really cares out there there's all there for that privacy and for that quiet and that peace um so it's a pretty unique place as far as uh, as far as that stuff goes it's um, amazing i mean i'm not gonna lie it is flat out amazing and joe joe tells like every time i talk to him he goes dude is lanai not the freaking coolest place and i just said yeah and he's just like your family can be happy yep. your family is just totally chilled um and the you know the hunting's unreal and you literally can can decide i want to be on a beach i want to be in a cool super secluded village that also has arguably one of the awesomest like old-timey weight rooms there is um, i saw i think you posted it have you that. not been there i have not are no, you not a weight guy the uh i am but, like, but uh oh, when i'm dude. out there it's like vacation time and i'm up in the morning early and you know we're out late and we're having a couple of drinks afterward so uh so i have not explored the old school weight room but i saw your post and i'm like i gotta go check that out you have to you have to because you're in there and it's just when you have weights like that that are like welded on the end Right. And you know, you know, and there's rust on them. They're they're yeah. literally like smooth from how many times they've been dropped on floors and dinged around and slammed against another one, and people that have crushed, you know, crushed a set and barely got their last rep and just freaking dropped the hundies on the ground and smashed against the eighties that were down there for a super set. Like you, you just <laughs> feel all that. Like that whole aura is down there. And yeah, I, like I, actually, I actually think it's in the per- – well, I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank but, goodness. Yeah, but um, just the whole aura of even where it's at, like being down there in the basement where you go there and you're, you know, you're almost sweating within your first few sets. It's just like this is cool. And you know what else was awesome was, um, one, the food. Like the food at any of the restaurant, if you go to like the Lanai – um, motel restaurant or, you know, like the Lanai restaurant in it's the food is better than 99% of the places I can eat in Des Moines, Iowa, or it's, it's it's amazing. And the other thing that I just loved, I could not believe the grocery store. Yeah. I could not believe it. Yeah. Really cool. Yeah. I, I don't know what it was like before Larry bought the Island, but, um, you know, they certainly, uh, put in some some uh, they upgraded uh, a lot. He did a lot for that uh, community, which is pretty cool. But yeah, that grocery store is nice. Yep, it's awesome, and it's it's a uh, Pineapple Brothers Lanai. If you're interested in a hunt out there, um, obviously as the as the island goes up in um, commodities and and amenities, um, you know price changes too. But it's one of those deals where it is you know. If you're if you're wanting to go somewhere where your you know your family's there, and you know you want a, a hunt where just everything's a plus, it's a plus. I mean, yeah, we're always make it always trying to make it better, but it's, it's a so plus cool plus out there. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, when I met Joe out there last June, same time I met you, uh, and he was so cool, just you know, totally normal. I said, "Hey, I'm Joe." Like, yeah, I know. <laughs> but, well, I mean, he's such a cool guy, such an awesome, awesome dude. So um, yeah, it's, it's I'm, I'm so glad you guys discovered the island and had a had a great couple trips out there. Yeah, well, let's um, let's just to recap. This was I knew it would be a cool podcast. Um, because you're a cool dude but let's just recap this so even though some of you listening at a later date today is june 1st i'm gonna i might try to get all my ducks in a row so i can launch this tomorrow which would be on a saturday um and then we'll we'll let this auction ride out um so uh what we're what we're gonna do is this is first let's just say what this is gonna go to Jack, Mr. Carr, um, you you say exactly what this is going to. Also, uh, tell us again for the, you know, pretty much the, um, uh, I guess the write-off point of view, what it would be towards, so people can double-check that. If there's any businessmen out there that are wanting to dig deep to for this awesome cause, and um, and just you know, tell us again what it is and where people could research more about it. And then I'll tell them at the end what they are bidding for. 
Yeah, so uh, proceeds are going to go to our son's special needs trust, which um, helps with his uh, day-to-day care, which is 24-7 full-time care. I stuff somebody right there on him at all times. Um, and the write-off portion goes to something called the DISC Foundation. So that's, uh, and I'll, I'll send this to you in an email so that uh, we have the correct 501c3 information for, for anybody. Um, and, uh, and we'll figure out that back end piece. But it goes to the, the DISC Foundation. So that allows it to be a, uh, a tax write off. And, and uh, the proceeds will go to our son's uh, special needs trust. And then uh, farther down the line, this plan is to have everything that, that happens for our son and help the next generation and help other kids with special needs, help veterans uh, with PTSD and with missing arms and legs and, and that sort of thing um, by helping the National Ability Center out here in Park City. Um, so that's what the uh, what it's going towards. And once again, I'm uh, extremely humbled um, that you're you're doing this and that people are interested in in helping. Um, and uh, awareness wise, it's uh, it's so new that there's not much out there on it. But it's a mutation of the NR2F1 gene. So if you put in NR2F1 uh, and Google that, then a lot of information will uh, will pop up. Have um, they not actually named it? You know, they did, and I don't want to mispronounce it. They did just name it for the researcher in the Netherlands that discovered it. Um, and I don't want to mess up the pronunciation. Uh, my wife will get on me, but she just told me before I walked in here. And of course, I've forgotten how to pronounce it, but they just officially named it after this uh, female researcher uh, doctor in the Netherlands. Um, but NR2F1, and it should pop up. I could probably do it right now, but I, um, yeah, but it, anyway, NR2F1. Yeah, it's, it's almost so new that the... You know, it's almost like a, it's almost like a gene, you know, it's almost like a a series of like gene cards and gene notes more so than anything right now. Um, But we can clarify that later. But what you're going to be doing is the highest bidder is going to get either an option to, uh, to take my bow that I had in Lanai. Um, It has some of the very, very infamous red lava dirt in the 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 pores of the grip (laughs) i'll clean i'll clean um some of that off for you um (laughs) and then obviously it's it's fully set up and we'll have a dozen of the newest knock-on axis arrows exactly how i shot them or you're able to pick your hoid of option or of choice i will bi- order it i will build it i'll literally custom do that thing to a t we'll do a consultation of um reviewing your shooting to make sure i'm going to build this thing to fit you properly and then you're going to be able to come out to san diego and attend our parking lot meet and greet and grill out with myself Andy, um, you're going to try to get there, but you actually have an event with your son just like a day after that. So we're going to have to work on that. Um, my buddy, Trevor Thompson, who is also a tactical stud and a literally a, a night jumper, a secret. He jumps off stuff. Um, and then uh, we, you'll get to meet Bob Fromm, also a, a superstar, amazing hunter, and then on Sunday, I'm going to be doing a private class. Um, well, I say private. There's going to be 10 people in there. Um, so it'll be a small group class um, for a full day. And then uh, you'll be able to get a tandem skydive with none other than Andy Stumpf. Uh, and you'll be able to get a freaking sweet one-of-a-kind knife that my buddy Jim is going to dial up for this event. I'm sure I'm going to tweak this bow out with a very custom set of uh, rattler grips, probably made by um, an antler to a deer or an elk that is of meaning to me. And that's going to be it. It is going to be a dynamite package, and it's going to be winner take all. So prepare, prepare yourself and... Hopefully we can do some some good for you guys. Um, man, I appreciate the hell out, out of you. And not Thank to mention so. not to mention what you did for the country. Like we've left that part out. 
Um, well, I appreciate that. It was a, it was an honor to do it as long as I did. So um, now we're into this next phase of our life. But it, uh, yeah, there's two things I wanted to do since I was a kid: one, serve my country in uniform as a SEAL, and two, write fiction. So uh, as I was making that transition, it was uh, it was time to start writing. And uh, of course, I'll throw in a copy of the of the book and sign it to whoever anybody would like. And uh, I think you did leave out that somebody gets to choose whether they go front or back with Andy, which oh, is oh yeah, uh, very yeah, very it, top, it popular topic, super <laughs> popular topic. And um, I guess we got to end on this. How long did it take for someone to stuff eighteen year old Andy in a locker? <laughs> <laughs> Not long. Or a toilet. <laughs> There's some pretty big boys when you show up at the SEAL teams in 1997. So uh, yeah, no, <laughs> we had a good time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some things have to stay at have to stay at buds. I'm sure, but uh, right. in the nest. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Well, awesome, man. I appreciate uh, everything, and can't say enough about all the support of the knock on nation and if you're into a cool hunt uh check out the hunt on lanai pineapple brothers um so check you later everybody knock on be sure to visit knockonarchery.com to see our entire line of trendy knock on lifestyle clothing knockonarchery.com <laughs>